Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. That's the last book in the Bible. Open it up in your Bible apps. I always encourage you to actually be looking at it. We put the words up on the screen, but I want you to be able to highlight things, underline them, also take notes. We're continuing on in our vision for eternity series, and each week we're building on the last one. And I want to begin with a question. Have you ever been in a situation where you did not know what direction to go? Have you ever been in a situation where you did not know what direction to go? We spent a lot of time in my family of origin out in the woods, hiking, hunting, fishing. And I have this one distinct memory when I was a teenager. My sisters were about six years younger than me. We were out with my parents. And we were just going to go for a, a relaxed hike at the end of the day, watch the sunset. We went to a place in New Mexico that we hadn't been, and we got on a trail, and, you know, it was going to be a leisurely probably hour, hour and a half hike, so we didn't bring water, we didn't bring food, we didn't bring flashlights, we were just expecting a quick little loop, and as we went, it, we had some excitement, within just the first hundred yards, we saw a big black bear, and so that always makes you a little more on edge, your heart's beating a little faster, you remember, okay, we're actually in the wild, but we came to a place on the trail, now we hadn't seen a, uh, a trail marker, and we didn't have a map, but we came to a place on a trail where the trail broke into three directions, and we actually just ended up having to guess. We, we took the left trail as we thought that would be the loop, and within about 30 minutes, we realized we had made a mistake because we were absolutely lost. We didn't know what direction to head. This is pretty unusual for our family, and, and so then it starts getting dark, and we're realizing, oh my goodness, it's getting colder. And then, classic Hollywood form, we hear the wolves howling, like really close, and they feel like they're getting closer and closer. So fortunately, I had a knife. Unfortunately, it was just a little pocket knife with a blade about that big, but I pulled it out anyway. And so I'm walking in front of the family. There might have been some crying going on. I'm sure it was my sisters and not me. But it was a, a, a harrowing feeling, and, and we ended up walking in the dark for several hours. By God's grace, we stumbled into a campsite uh, after a lot of, of fear and panic, and were able to get a ride back to where our car was. But I'll never forget that memory of being lost and, and choosing the wrong direction. You know, we're, we're talking about vision for eternity, and your life is full of choices. In fact, research shows that we don't just make a dozen choices a day or even a hundred choices a day. Research shows that we make thousands of choices a day. In fact, I, I found some research that says we make around 776,000 decisions in our lifetime. I don't know what researcher took time to figure that out. And they said 116,000 of them we live to regret. You know, life is really a series of decisions. And success versus failure in life comes from making the right decision. So today I wanna to talk to you on the topic of decision-making in light of eternity. Decision-making in light of eternity, I encourage you to write that down. Now, what I wanna say is that usually didn't happen in my family. We didn't usually get lost. We didn't usually not know what direction to go because my dad always carried something with him. He had carried it with him from his, his early adulthood days, from being in the U.S. Army. It was something that he was given, and it was this. It was a compass. Now, many of you have never actually seen one of these in real life. You grew up in the city or you live just 
your whole adult life in the iPhone generation. But this is actually an instrument that has a free-floating pin on top, and it's magnetized. And on the top, you have north, on the bottom, south, on the, the left side, west, and on the right side, east. And how it works is the earth has a magnetic force. And so the magnet on the compass, because of the pin, is free-floating. It always points north. I can't tell you how many times my dad and I would be out in the woods, off the trails, but Dad would always say, we need to go back that direction because we always knew where north was. In the day and age we live in where people say that morals are relative, that it just matters that you have a good heart, it doesn't really matter the choices you make, you can find yourself completely lost. And we often find ourselves making decisions that leave our lives devastating. But God doesn't want us as his followers to live that way. So today, I want to introduce to you a kingdom decision-making compass. But before I do that, let me give you some scriptural foundations, some scriptural foundations. So starting in Revelation 20, my first point is this, your decisions have eternal ramifications, or your, your decisions have eternal consequences would be another way to say that. Let's look at this amazing few verses at the end of the Bible. It says, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. So we've talked about the last several weeks that the center of the universe is a throne. And seated on the throne is, oh my goodness, you're at church. The answer is always Jesus. And seated on the throne is, there we go. It's just going to get harder, folks. Seated on the throne is Jesus. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. Now, underline those three words, book of life. We're going to come back to that. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not written in the book of life was thrown into the fire. So here is the truth that we must understand. It's not talked about much in the American church. We've spent a lot of time talking to just how to have a better life, how to maximize and, and live the, the, the most incredible life you can here on earth. But we often fail to mention that eternity is actually one of two destinations. It's heaven, where there's no more weeping, crying, pain, or suffering in the presence of the loving God, or there is hell. It's called the lake of sulfur, a burning where people will end up. And so what we see is at the end of time, we will be standing before this throne. Jesus will be on this throne, and everyone, both living and dead, will come. Even those who are in the sea, even those that are in Hades or hell, they will come, and they will stand before Jesus, and we will be judged. And that brings me to point number two. There will be a judgment for each person determining their eternal destination. There will be a judgment for each person determining their eternal destination. Listen to this scripture. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. You're like, oh, 
That is scary. Your name's not in the book of life. I mean, talk about a naughty or nice list, right? This is, this is scary. This is, this is the book you want to be in, right? You might have skipped your yearbook pictures in high school. You don't want to skip out on this book. Your name has to be written in the book of life. What is the book of life? It's also known in Scripture as the Lamb's book of life. So the big question becomes, how do I get in this book? I need to be there. I don't want to be thrown in the lake of fire. Now, here is the amazing thing, because many people think, well, if I just work hard enough, if my good deeds just outweigh my bad deeds, no, that's not it. That's not how you get your name written in the book of life. So how do you? The Bible says this in in probably the most famous verse in Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. You get your name written in that book by believing. The Bible says this, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, not by any works, lest a person boast. It's by grace. When Jesus died on the cross, he was paying for your sins. If you put your faith in him, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We get our names written in the book of life or the Lamb's book of life by merely understanding that I'm a sinner, I need a Savior, looking up to Jesus' death on a cross where he sacrificed himself for us, looking to his resurrection from the dead. You put your faith, you call on the name of the Lord Jesus, you will be saved, and your name gets written in that book forever. That's great news. But look at this, point three. There will also be a judgment for what we have done on this earth. Now, I learned this part about the book of life. Hopefully, you've learned that if you've been to a church before, that you've learned about giving your life to Jesus, about asking him to be your savior. But oftentimes, we miss this next part, that actually what we do after we're saved actually matters. So look at this. It says this, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Notice that that is plural. Books were open. Another book was open. That's singular, which is the book of life. So imagine on this side, here is the book of life. Imagine on this side, there are many books. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. In this book is your name written when you give your life to Jesus. In these books, all of these books, is what we have done on this earth. And many people are like, oh no, I really don't like judgment. I don't want to be judged. Actually, let me tell you, you do. You do want to be judged because listen to this. This is so amazing. What you do, point number four, there is an opportunity for great eternal reward for what we do on earth. There is actually a great reward. The Bible actually says this, if we were only believers, For this life, we would be pitied above all. Why? Because we don't live just to satisfy our every momentary pleasure. We often deny ourselves. Or let's say, for instance, you were driving to church today, or you're driving home, heaven forbid this happened, and someone's mean, and they cut you off on the road home. I can't believe they do that on a Sunday when you're going home from church, but they cut you off. And you know what you do? You don't give them a friendly wave with only one finger. You don't give them some friendly words that that you're going to be ashamed of after you said them. Instead, you say, I forgive you. 
right? Or, or, or someone gossips about you, and instead of gossiping about them at work, or, or someone, someone's mean to you at work, or man, for, heaven forbid, someone actually picks on you, and you turn the other cheek. Man, you're to be pitied above all on this earth, right? I mean, think about it. Every good action blockbuster movie, it's about someone, you know, someone being beat down, and then they come back, and, and they take them out, right? It's Rocky Balboa. It's, it's Braveheart. It's the Avengers, right? You don't have a movie called The Forgivers. No, we always, get back, rise up, knock them out, put that person in their place, and no, instead we, we bless when we're persecuted. We turn the other cheek when we're slapped. We'd be pitied above all, but no, Jesus is saying there's a reward in heaven. He says even a cup of cold water in my name won't lose its reward. I mean, someone walked to church, and you're the one who set out those bottles. Thank you, whoever did that today. Set out those bottles. There's a reward for you in heaven. Right? You take someone screaming baby, and you're like, ah. But there's a reward for you in heaven. Your spouse fussed at you on the way out to get to church and said, you always make a slate. And instead of saying, well, you, <laughs> I can't even tell you all that you've done. Instead, you say, I'm sorry, dear. Right? Your kids, your, ki- your kids, they were not nice to you today. I'm sure that has that been. And you instead, you love and you bless and you serve. And so your boss was mean to you. And instead of going and talking about them, you were kind to them. On and on and on. There's a reward for everything you do on this earth. I want to tell you, you should love the judgment seat of Christ because it's a tremendous opportunity. Jesus said this, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. So think about it, Jesus hanging out with his disciples, and they're just looking at him like in a normal, probably robe, dirty, he slept outside last night, and Jesus is like, hey, but there is coming a day when the Son of Man will appear and come in his Father's glory, like I'm going to be shining bright light, and the angels are going to be with me, and he says, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. He's like, it's not, it's, it, it should just be enough that we see Jesus in his glory. I mean, we talked about that two weeks ago, but he's saying, hey, and on top of that, like everything you've done is going to be rewarded. I'm going to give you a great reward. You're like, why, Jesus? I mean, that's unbelievable. He says this, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moss and vermin do not destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. He's saying, hey, don't just think about, hey, the next day you can buy, the next cool shoes, the next couch you can sit on. He's like, no, store up treasures in heaven because that's eternal reward. The apostle Paul said it this way, 2 Corinthians 5, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. That's a big motivating factor for me. I started learning about this. That really helped me not walk in sin because I'm like, wow, I don't actually want to be judged for those things. I want to receive a great reward. He goes on to say this, but each one should build with care. It's like, don't think about life as just the next circumstance or just Man, I'm just trying to make things a little more comfortable, just trying to eke out a little more comfortable existence. No, he's saying, think about life like you're building. You're a builder, and your life is the building. And so he says, build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So make sure you're building on the foundation of Jesus, like everything built on the foundation of Jesus If anyone builds on the foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with 
fire. Remember, we talked about fire a couple weeks ago, that the scripture actually says in 2 Peter that the earth will be destroyed by fire, and then there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So the imperfection and the destruction and the decay, it'll actually disappear. Well, that fire is not just going to burn away what we see. It's going to burn away how we live, and it will be revealed. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. You want to live so that you receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only one as escaping through the flames. There will be many Christians who get to heaven as one only escaping through the flames. But that's not you. That's not what you want to be. You want to get there with a great reward. And every day, even the smallest yes to the Lord receives a reward. Such great news. So that brings us to this, this thought of, okay, how do I make decisions then that bless God and will receive a reward in heaven? And so that's why I want to introduce you, just as I said, my dad would always carry around a compass. I want to give you a compass that you can carry around. You're going to carry this in your mind and your heart. It's built on scriptural principles. So let me draw it out for you real quick. Let me draw a kingdom decision-making compass. If you're taking notes, write down kingdom decision-making compass. I'm just going to Try to draw a neat little compass here. All right. And here is Nor. Wow. You, have I ever told you you're my favorite service? Um, no one else cheered for me. Okay, so we're gonna start, we're gonna start north right here. And so what 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 is always true? What is always pointing the same direction? It is the Bible. It is the Word of God. Can I just tell you, the, the Bible is not like just another book. We, we have to read books in our, in our life. It's not just like any other book. It's not like, oh, I'm going to read the Bible or I'm going to read this novel. Or, I'm going to read the Bible or I'm going to read these ancient books like the Iliad or the Odyssey. I'm going to read the Bible or these other, these other uh, scriptures from other religions like the Quran or the Bhagavad Gita or, or, or the, the, the Book of Mormon. No, the Bible is actually the living word of God. Listen to this from 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, that's you, may be thoroughly equipped. Some of you are like, man, I just, I feel like I'm just struggling in life. I'm just kind of like a ship lost on the sea. No, The Bible is going to thoroughly equip you for every good work. Hebrews 4.12 says this, the word of God is alive and active. It's not just a dead book written a thousand years ago. No, you put this in your heart and you actually sense, whoa, I'm coming alive. And it's active in you. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, you get the Bible in your mind, you get the Bible in your heart, and it judges, it helps you make decisions between right and wrong, helps you make decisions, go this way instead of that way. So let me, let me just give you a, a, a common decision that people in this church are making. We have a lot of singles in this church, and a lot of them want to be married. 
And so you have this desire, man, I want to get married. Can I tell you, the Bible is going to speak so clearly to you about relationships, about love relationships, about marriage. Let me go on beyond that. Man, the Bible is going to speak to you about finances. The Bible is going to speak to you about your work life. The Bible is going to speak to you about your home life, your home, about purchases. The Bible is going to speak about health, about sleep, about your body. The Bible speaks on almost every major topic in life you're going to encounter. And let me ask you, are you in the Bible? Do you know that you can read the whole Bible through if you just spend less than 15 minutes a day? You're like, oh, I could never read the Bible. Man, that's just so big. It's so, it's so huge. I could never. Wow, this Bible says 1,170 pages. I could never do that. Can I tell you my junior hire read the whole Bible this past year? You can do it. You spend, most people spend a lot more than 15 minutes a day on social media. Everyone hearing me has the time. But the question is, are you going to build your life on this book? Do you know that there are people around the world that would die to have a Bible? They actually do die to have the Bible, and we have the Bible totally accessible to us. Let's not take that for granted, people. Let's build our lives on the Word of God. So, you want to get married, and you're like, man, so should I marry, should I date that person? Listen to how clear this scripture is right here. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Man, do you know how many relationships that would solve right there? You're going, should I date that person? Wait, they don't love God. Then right here in scripture, very clearly, then it's not the person for you. Doesn't mean you can't like them. Doesn't mean you can't care for them. Doesn't mean you can't be a friend. No, please be friends. Please love people who don't know Jesus. But when you're talking about the person that you're gonna actually link your life with, make sure that they value what's most precious to you. Are you following me? Okay, let's get even more practical. You're like, okay, well, that was pretty basic, Robert. How about this? Guys, you're like, should I date that girl? Because she is so fine. Well, here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 31. Charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. You're like, but she's so cute. But she's got a potty mouth. She's so cute. She doesn't fear the Lord. She's so fine. Right, but the Bible says she's clothed with strength, but I like, I like that little thing that she's wearing. No, but is she clothed with strength and dignity? She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Men, this is the woman you're looking for. And men, I could get you a lot worse if I read all the scriptures about men of God. So let's stay humble in our seats right there. <laughs> all of our major decisions need to be built on the foundation of the word. Are you in the word you will save yourself so many mistakes by every time you have a big decision going and saying, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about this job? What does the Bible say about this move? What does the Bible say about this person? What does the Bible say about this expense? Let's move to the second one. The second one is this. I say due south is the voice of God. Now, I don't have these in any specific order besides the, this top one, but the voice of God. 
Now, what we know from Scripture is that God is still speaking. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 4. He said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the Father's mouth. I'm sorry, that's Matthew 4. 4. He was saying, hey, God just didn't put his word in Scripture. No, his, it, their word's still coming from his mouth. We see this throughout the book of Acts where the, the disciples would be wondering what to do, and it would say, then the Holy Spirit spoke. Then the Holy Spirit spoke. Do you know that when you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will speak to you? Jesus said, I'm a good shepherd. And he goes, my sheep, they know my voice and they follow me out. It says he goes on ahead of them. That's what it says in John chapter 10. Jesus wants to lead you. And how do you know how to follow Jesus? It's not by looking at a bracelet that says WWJD. What would Jesus do? You know what Jesus would do by him speaking to you. You say, gosh, can, can, can I really hear God? John 8 says this, he who belongs to God hears what God says. It's your birthright. It's a gift to you to hear the voice of Jesus. And so you need to practice listening. So every big decision we make, I go and I quiet myself. I go and sit in a solitary place and I just say, Lord, won't you speak to me? And then I write down what I feel like he's speaking to me. Elijah said he spoke in the still small voice. Right, But we see numerous ways that God spoke. Mary, Joseph, Daniel, they received God speaking to them in dreams. Ezekiel, Daniel, they saw in visions. There are numerous ways that God speaks to us, but we want to hear God's word. I, I think about one of the biggest mistakes I almost made. And God just saved me by speaking. You want to know what it was? Stephanie and I almost broke up before we got engaged. Can you imagine? Can you imagine me without Stephanie? Yeah, bad dude right there. What happened? Well, we had this impasse in our relationship. I mean, we just got to this point where we were in this conflict and, and, and we weren't agreeing and we just, it was painful and we didn't see how we could move forward. And we were thinking, man, I mean, this is kind of the point of breaking up. And, but we knew this. We understood, I live by the voice of God, and so let's take some time, because it doesn't really matter what you want or what I want, it matters what God wants for us, because he knows what's best for us. So we waited on God, and God spoke so clearly to both of us, and not in an audible voice, but spoke to our hearts. They committed to this relationship. Oh, I'm so glad I did. You know, and, and, and a little while later, we're, we're, we're traveling, and I went to meet Steph's parents, and I was just spending time with God like I do every morning. I was just out under some trees, and God spoke to me so clearly, Stephanie Herman will be your wife, and she will be an amazing mother of boys. Yeah, we, we weren't even engaged. We weren't married. How, how, who could know that we were going to have three boys? And we, and we have a girl, but uh, she's an amazing mother of that girl too. But we have a lot of boys. God knows your future. God knows what's best for you, and God wants to speak to you. Never make a decision without taking time and asking the Holy Spirit to speak to you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to lead you by his voice. Now, some people are like, ooh, one of those churches, one of those listen to God speak. That's kind of weird. I've heard people going way off. Now, let me just give you some parameters. The voice of God will never contradict the word of God. Right? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's why we encourage you be in the Word of God, because then you can look and say, Does that line up? Does what I heard in my spirit line up with what I read in the Word? 
Okay, let's move on. The next one, this is so important. I often see people missing this one. It's community. I go to community. I hear God in community. I hear God through the community. The scripture says this, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. So let's break community into two parts. The first is friendships. Take a moment, would you, and write down two or three friends that you go to and seek counsel from. Who are the, the last big decision, who are the people you went and talked to? Who are the people you went and talked to? And I, I'm not talking about, you know, we all have that friend that will always tell us what we wanna hear. I'm not talking about that person. I'm talking about the person that speaks the truth in love. That person, when I'm talking about kingdom friendships, I'm talking about people that you look at and you say, I want my life to look like them. Like they are people that are full of faith. I love that, I love that one quote. You show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Who are the friends that you can go to that will always speak the truth to you, that always want you to grow in relationship with God, who are always helping you become better? That's who we go to is friendships. Now, some, some people say, gosh, you know, man, that kind of hurt. That I, I didn't like what they told me. I'm not saying it always feels good. Listen to this scripture, Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another I don't know if you've ever sharpened a knife before, but it, I mean, it, that's how community is sometimes, right? We all expect community to be like a, a pillow. We just fall in, ah, fall into the pillow, and, and, and times it's like, nope, it's just scraping that top layer off you so you can be more like Jesus. We need these type of friends. Number two is this, is leaders, leaders. We all need shepherds. What does a shepherd do? A shepherd protects the sheep. A shepherd leads the sheep into a green pasture. A shepherd keeps a sheep away from predators. And that's what kind of leaders we need in our, in our lives. But let me ask you, are you going and asking leaders for counsel? I am so thankful that I learned this Early on, I remember in my very early years, in my 20s, I was leading mission, a mission trip to Lebanon, and it was a three-week trip. The whole first week, I didn't sleep. So since I was about two, I had really bad insomnia, and sometimes it would just act up, especially if I had jet lag and got my biological clock kind of out of skew, and so I went, I was leading the trip, I didn't sleep, and man, you try to go a couple nights without sleep, you start getting a little wiggy, you start going a little crazy, but you try, try up to six, seven nights, the world gets really, really wonky for you, and so I was, this was an awful experience, and so I come home, and I've made a decision, I've made a decision, I said, I'm not going to go on overseas trips anymore, I'm not going to do missions anymore. So I remember thinking, I'm just going to be a good U.S. pastor. I'm going to focus on the good U.S. of A. That's all I'm going to do. And I remember meeting with my pastor to debrief the trip, and I said, hey, this is the decision I'm making. What do you think about that? Yeah, that was just too hard. I didn't sleep. I was going crazy. And he looked at me and said, uh, no, Robert, you're, you're called to the nations. Like, I've seen it in your life. And, and then he said this profound thing. He said, you got a problem. Like, you got a physical problem. 
with insomnia. And, and then he said something revolutionary. He goes, you should be a doctor. And I, I, like, I was like, I never thought of that. Can, can I just tell you that, that we need community? We need community so we won't be idiots. That's, you can take notes on that. or You can write that down. That, that is why we're called sheep. Sheep in the Bible. When, when God's like, you're my sheep, it's not a compliment. We're like, oh, God. He's like, hey, I got you. <laughs> um, sheep aren't that smart. And so we need, we need community. You need community around you. You need good shepherds. I'm so thankful for a shepherd who saw the gifting on my life and also said, go to the doctor. And they gave me a, a, a prescription to help me sleep. And, and I take it every once in a while. And you know what? I've been to the, uh, probably to 25 other nations since then. And if that wouldn't have happened, we would just be one little church all peoples instead of numerous churches around the world. I'm so thankful that I had a leader speaking into my life. Let this be a warning for you. If there's a decision that you don't want to bring community on, if there's a decision you don't want to get leadership's counsel on, that should be a red flag. Right, because that means you just want to do your own deal. And you know, there was a person who wanted to do their own deal one time. His name was Satan. I don't want to be like him. I, I want to be like Jesus. That was heavy. All right. I'm trying to save you here. Uh, here's the last one. Count the cost. Count the cost. Now, what do I mean by that? Let, let's look at Scripture Jesus is the one who said you need to count the cost. This is in Luke 14, 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost? Or in another translation, it says, or count the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it. For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying the person began to build and wasn't able to finish you know, sometimes people jump into different endeavors, but they never took time to count the cost, to actually use the brain that God gave them, the heart to discern, and actually understand, is this possible? Is this something I should do? Am I willing to pay the price? Now, let me give a side caveat. Sometimes people start here, and they go, I could never do that. That's why we never start here. We start the Bible, because the Bible has plenty of stories of people doing things that they could never do. And that's why we go here next to the voice of God, because God is the God of the impossible, so oftentimes he calls us into impossible situations. But he's not saying, check your brain out at the door when you come into church. He's saying, no, I gave you a brain, I gave you a heart, I gave you an ability to actually calculate and understand. He says this, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king, won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. So let me illustrate this through a story from my own life. We had moved to San Diego. We had lived here a couple years. We had planted the church, and the church had now become established. We were so excited and so thrilled, and the Lord started speaking to us by a spirit about buying a home and sinking our roots down into San Diego. So we had this word. And then as we looked at scripture, we knew, you know, owning a home and, and, and having roots in a place, that's scriptural. In fact, someone had given us as a prophetic word, Jeremiah 29, where it says, 
Build homes and settle down and plant vineyards and marry and give, give your children to marriage. And as, as you prosper, the land will prosper. And so we had the, the scripture and then we went to our community and we said, hey, what do you think about us actually trying to pursue a home and, and owning one? They said, absolutely, that's going to root you here. It's going to give you ownership. We talked to our leaders. They said, yeah, I know it's expensive. I know it's more expensive than the place you came from, but we believe God's going to do it for you. We believe you should own a home. So all of these are lining up. And so someone sends us a home. You know, they, people knew we were looking for one, so someone sent us online this home, and we look at it, we're like, oh, that's beautiful, and it's in the place where we'd, we'd, we, we think we should be, and, and, and so, and, and this home was foreclosed, and so we're like, oh my goodness, we're, it, there's an amazing deal. In fact, it was going to auction, and we're like, this could be it, like, and so we even drove by it, and, and we go, oh, that would be amazing, and it's just, it feels like it could be it, and so we, we, we said, okay, we're, we're going to do our due diligence, and we're going to actually try to, to go in, and so we got an appointment, and we're walking through this house, and, 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 but we didn't know how much it was going to be, and the person that's showing us looks at us and goes, hey, you're crazy if you think there's any way that this home's going to go for less than about a million dollars. Whoa! That is not what I was thinking. That is not. And, and, and so I, I, I mean, I had about that much in the bank, and so I'm like, there's, I, can't, I can't get a loan for that. So two more days before this house went to auction, we're like, okay, God, if you provide the money miraculously, but God, we can't do so. Like, we're not going to go out. We're going to go bankrupt. We can't afford that kind of, of loan. And guess what? Those two days passed. We didn't get the money. We didn't get the house. And I felt so relieved. I felt so relieved because once we counted the cost, we realized we can't do that. We can't jump into that. Two years later, let me say that again, two years later, someone sent us another home. God started speaking to us about it. We actually chased it through the court system for 18 months. We got it for a fraction of the cost, and it was even better for us, for us to seek the Lord, prosper our family to grow, and to minister to other people. Can I tell you, you need to count the cost to understand, to do your due diligence, to use your brain and say, how can this actually work? And give God plenty of chances to do the miraculous, but God wants us to be people who build our life through faithfully applying the word, but also analyzing what it's actually going to cost. I tell you all these four things because as we do this, we start making decisions that set you up for eternity. In fact, so much so that when people come and, and, and ask for advice to us as different leaders in the church, we'll often say this phrase, hey, have you compassed that? Have you compassed that decision? It means, have you taken that decision and put it in the compass? Have you looked at seeing what the Bible says? Have you started spending some time in silence and waiting for the Lord to speak to you? Have you taken that to your community? And let me just tell you, a great community, the first question they'll always ask is, what's God speaking to you? I always have people coming out, hey, what do you think I should do about this? Do you know what I do? I don't just tell them. I say, well, what is God speaking to you? I say, hey, what are the verses that you're, you're, you're building on? And then lastly, counting the cost. What's the actual cost of this endeavor? What's it going to, to cost you emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially? You know, as you do these things, I find that people make decisions that honor Jesus and ultimately lead to that abundant life that he promises. 
You know, I want to be a person that can say this at the end of my life, like the Apostle Paul, through the decisions of my life, through the things that come at me, I want to be able to say this, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith, and finally there is laid up for me. Don't you want this said? Finally, there is laid up for me, there is laid up for you a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but but also to all who've loved his appearing. So let's not just be hearers of the word today. Let's be doers. I want everyone to take out a phone, take out something to write with, and let's put this into practice for a moment. I want us to, um, to close our eyes and ask the Lord to bring to mind an important decision. We're always making decisions. I don't know what decision he's going to bring to mind, but just ask the Lord, Lord, what's an important decision I'm facing right now? Might be about a relationship. Might be about a purchase. Might be about your career. It might be about a move you've been considering. I don't know what it is, but would you just, we're going to take 30 seconds in silence and ask the Lord to, to bring to mind a, a big decision that we're facing right now. Okay, now just do this on your phone or your journal or in your Bible. Just write down that decision, that what, what the decision is. Just write down, you know, I'm, I'm wondering about dating this person. I'm wondering about buying this. I'm wondering about joining this. Someone asked me to serve. I'm wondering about serving in this kind of way. Write that kind of that title. Then I want you to skip a couple lines and then just write Bible. And then skip a couple lines, because what I'm going to invite you to do this week is to take a couple days to pray about this decision, and I want you to write what the Scripture says about this decision. Then under that, write voice of God. And this week, we're going to practice. The way we, we learn to hear God more and more clearly is by practicing. And so I want you to go and bring this decision before the Lord every day in your FaceTime, in your quiet time. Say, Lord, what are you speaking about this? And I want you to skip a couple lines, and I want you to write community. And on this one, I want you to write something right now. Who are two people that you can talk to about this decision? Write their names down. It's going to keep you accountable. Who are two people that I trust, that the people of God, their integrity and character, I, I admire how they live their lives. And then lastly, write cost. Leave some space. And I want to challenge you to take these next few days to actually compass this decision. We're trying to build a habit here of making kingdom decisions in light of eternity. Father, I pray this week that you'd bless my brothers and sisters as they go on a journey of learning to use the kingdom decision-making compass, learning to compass their decisions by the Bible, by your spoken word, by community, and by counting the costs in a holy way. Pray that you teach us, Lord, and I pray that wonderful decisions that would bless the, them and bless the body of Christ, but also bring eternal reward would come from this. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand up?